0: One way to survive is to keep a sense of hope, of being able to find what works, what helps, the laughter and shared strength and awareness of good things and good ways. Hello,
1: I'm Abram Van
0: And I'm Joanne Diaz.
1: And this is Poetry for All.
0: This podcast is for those who already love poetry and for those who know very little about it. In each episode, we read a poem, discuss it, learn from it, and then read it one more time.
1: And today we are delighted to honor Indigenous Peoples Month by reading a poem by Carter Rivard from the Osage Nation. This episode is especially meaningful to me because Carter Rivard was a medievalist in the English department here at Washington University in St. Louis for many years. So to help us with this discussion, we have asked my colleague Jessica Rosenfeld to join us, since Jessica is a current medievalist in the Washu English department, and since the poem we're discussing today bears the imprint of medieval poetic form. So welcome to the program, Jessica.
0: Thank you for having me. So the poem that we're about to listen to describes an Osage dance ceremony from the perspective of the eagle feather that the dancer holds. Abram, would you be willing to read this poem for us?
1: Yes. What the Eagle Fan Says. I strung dazzling thrones of thunder beans on a spiraling thread of spinning flight. Beating dawn's blood and blue of noon to the gold and dark of day's leaving, circling with sun the soaring heaven over turquoise eyes of earth below, her silver veins, her sable fur, heard human relatives hunting beneath, calling me down, crying their need that I bring them closer to Wakanda's ways. And I turned from heaven To help them then. When the bullet came, it caught my heart. The hunter's hands gave earth its blood, Loosened light beans, and let us float toward the sacred center of song in the drum. But fixed us first, firm in tree heart, That green knife-dancers gave to men's knives, Ash-heart in hiding where a deer's heart had beat, And a one-eyed serpent with silver straight head Strung tiny rattles around white softness In beaded harmonies of blue and red. Now I move lightly in a man's left hand Above dancing feet, follow the sun Around old songs soaring toward heaven On human breath. And I help them rise.
0: Wow, what a reading. That is a beautiful poem. Maybe we could begin by just talking about who Carter Rivard was.
1: So first, I'd just like to know whether you ever met him, Jessica, because he was retired by the time I started here.
2: Right, and he was retired by the time I started here as well. And I didn't expect to meet him, but Carter reached out very soon after I arrived, and he, we I I save every email <laughs> he ever wrote to me <laughs> because they're really long and beautiful and full of information. But he was really generous. He wanted to know what I was was writing and would read my work and he would send me things that he was that he was working on. And the thing I most remember when I first got here is that it was the year that How the Songs Come Down was published. And so in 2005, he gave a reading, and it was gorgeous and awe-inspiring. The poems themselves, but also his voice, which is really famous. If anyone <laughs> has ever met Carter Rivard, they will tell you about his voice, which was deep and resonant and agile and, and beautiful.
1: That's awesome. And and just to give a little background on on who he was, he was born of mixed race ancestry in 1931 in Powhuska, Oklahoma. And his ancestors came from all over. They were Osage, Ponca, Irish, Scotch-Irish. He won a Radio Quiz Bowl scholarship to attend college and he ended up going to University of Tulsa. And from there, he was one of the first Native Americans to win a Rhodes Scholarship to Oxford. And he got a PhD in English from Yale, and taught at Amherst briefly before coming back here to to Washu. And I should mention that it's especially meaningful because Washu here sits on part of the traditional homeland of the Osage people who really lived in these river valleys before their removal to Oklahoma. This is what Rivard says. "says In short, I grew up poor in a mixed-blood family on a reservation among people like ourselves, trying to resist and survive the incoming flack from people who thought they were not like ourselves hitting us with loud or silent messages that everything happening to us was our fault.
0: Wow. So uh, could you say a bit, Jessica, about Carter Rivard as a medievalist. Sure.
2: So what I knew about Carter Rivard and the sort of shorthand for describing him was that, oh, yes, Carter Rivard, he discovered the Harley scribe. (laughs) And if you are a medieval scholar, then you know right away that that's extraordinarily important. But what that means is that he figured out who copied most of this manuscript that is known to specialists as Harley 2253. And it's now held in the British Library, but it was uh, copied down in the first half of the 14th century. And it's most famous for having a uh, extraordinarily large and varied collection of lyric poetry, including secular love poems in Middle English, of which there, there just aren't that many of them. And so most of the ones that we know, we know because they're in the Harley manuscript.
1: I should just say that one of the reasons we chose this particular poem of his, and he's got about nine books of poetry, is that it actually has a medieval poetic form to it.
0: This poem is amazing. And I'm so glad that you recommended that we discuss this poem. This is... The heartbeat of poetry in English. The, at the foundation of Anglo-Saxon poetry, even before that Norman invasion and everything else, there was this very strong beat in Anglo-Saxon poetry that really distinguishes English in a unique way from a lot of other languages. And you can hear this really strong heartbeat in each of these lines of Carter Rivard's poem. And tell me if I'm wrong, Jessica, but what I'm seeing is two very strong stresses on the left-hand side and two very strong stresses on the right-hand side of each poetic line. So there's sort of a bit of open space in each poetic line where there's a bit of a pause. And on either side, there's these two very strong percussive beats. Is that right?
2: Yes, that's right. And it does read like a lot of medieval alliterative verse where each line of verse is composed of two half lines and each half line has a pattern of strong um, and weak syllables and the alliteration is on the stressed syllables and often on the important words
1: so maybe we should just give our listeners a a sense of this from the poem itself and then maybe compare it to a a medieval poem so from from carter rivar's poem you could see where it begins I strung dazzling thrones, there's the two strong beats, break of thunder being, so thrones on one side, thunder on the other side. And then the next line, on a spiraling thread, there's two beats, break of spinning flight, so you got spiral on one side, spinning on the other. And then the next line, beating dawn's blood, so beating and blood, and then break and blue of noon. And this goes all the way through the poem. Two strong beats on the left, break Two Strong Beats on the Right. And I should mention, this is what the Eagle Fan says. It's sort of also written as a riddle poem. That is to say, there's a kind of riddle here to be solved. And that, too, is a very ancient Anglo-Saxon medieval poetic form.
2: Right. And I think, I mean, what's interesting about Carter's poem is that the, the riddle is solved in the title, right? So yeah. it might be interesting to talk about how he's playing with the riddle form. So what I brought is a riddle from the Exeter book, which is a big collection of old English verse that has about 90-something riddles. toward the the end of the manuscript. And I have to offer a disclaimer that I'm not actually a specialist in old English. I work (laughs) on late medieval poetry, which also has a lot of alliterative verse. But I was so captured by what uh, Carter was doing with the riddle form um, that I wanted to bring one of these these riddles in. So this is number 77. Sa mek sundhelm theachta, and mek utha rugon, eorthan yetinga. Feth eleasa, oft ich flode on yean, myth on tynde. Nu will monasum, min flesh fretan, Feles ne recheth sidan heme of sidan, Seaxes orde, hud erupeth, Ond mek hratha sidan, iteth on sodene ea. And I also should have said that the last half line of the, the poem is missing. There's some kind of fire damage to the manuscript, but that is as much of the riddle as we have it. Um, and I could read the translation yeah, <laughs> if that would be helpful. So this is mostly based on the Penguin translation by Kevin Crossley Holland. The sea fed me, the water helm was over me, and the waves covered me close to the ground. I was footless and often opened my mouth to the flood. Now some man will devour my flesh, who cares nothing for my skin. With the point of his knife, he will rip the hide away from my side, and straight away eat me uncooked as I am. Wow! Can anyone guess the <laughs> riddle? <laughs> Shall I tell you the no. solution? It's it's an oyster. Oh. So it's this. I mean, I I also chose this. I chose this riddle because it seemed related to Carter's poem and that it's spoken in the voice of an animal who has been put to human use. It has a very different tone than the, uh, mm-hmm. what the eagle fan says.
1: That's great. And I think it's a, a great segue, too, to think about what is happening in this um, eagle fan poem and, and, and this riddle. I mean, exactly as you say, there's a very different tone. And part of that tone comes from the very middle of this poem where the eagle is soaring above and it hears what it says, human relatives, and and the eagle responds to the crying of their need, the human needs, and brings them closer and then basically allows itself to be shot to join this dance. So, Joanne, as we turn to the to the dance itself, you have this quote from Carter Rivard that helps us make sense of both the tone of this poem and the dance that it celebrates. Would would you mind sharing that with us?
0: Yeah, here's a direct quote from Carter Rivard and, and his thinking on hope. It goes like this one way to survive is to keep a sense of hope, of being able to find what works, what helps, the laughter and shared strength and awareness of good things and good ways. And that's really nice. That feels like what's at stake in this poem. And as you were just talking about, there's so much connective tissue in that alliteration, in all that keeps coming back uh, sonically and rhythmically and how that sort of reinforces the sense of hope in the poem. It's so powerful.
1: And the sonicness and the rhythm of the poem are related to the dance that it is also describing. It's, it moves in circles. The men are on the inside, the women are on the outside. And there's a very careful beat and rhythm to it. And this dance still happens, of course. There's three weekends in June. And there's no pictures allowed of the dance ceremony itself. But you can online see see pictures of of people preparing for the dance or, or after the dance.
0: With all that you're giving us as far as context, maybe we can just look at the sense of the poem itself. And maybe we could do it by the sentence. And the reason I'd like to recommend that is because um, quite often people tend to read for the line, but maybe we should read across the lines and the open spaces to get to the end of the sentence, just to see how he's constructing the sense of this riddle. I mean,
1: what are the most noticeable, Parts of the poem is that it is in fact just two sentences. So even as it has this balance in each line left and right, it also has a certain balance in the downwardness of the eagle, which then ends as soon as it is hunted and falls. And that's the end of the first sentence. And then there's a kind of upward trajectory to the second half of this poem uh, as it's, turned in, its tail feathers turned into this fan, which participates in this dance, which at the very end of the poem helps humans rise. And there's a kind of circling happening throughout the poem that also matches the circling of the flight of the eagle at the beginning. And, and the last thing I'd say about that is it, it also relates to exactly what Carter Rivard sort of wrestled with and, and in many ways resolved in, in, in the work of his poetry, which was how to hold together these parts of his identity, not just his mixed race ancestry, but his Native American upbringing, his Oxford education, his work as a medievalist, his work as a poet. And one of his first and most famous poems about this is called uh, Coyote Tells Why He Sings, and it's a sonnet. So it has a traditional English form, except that the content of the sonnet is about finding basically a Native American voice. And so in a similar way, he's, he's, here he's drawing on a very old Anglo-Saxon medieval poetic form, yet the content of the poem itself is about an Osage dance. So again, you see all of these elements are balanced. There's two parts to each line. There's two sentences to the poem. There's two pieces of identity being held together in form and content throughout.
0: Even as you were talking about how the poem is structured and its balance and its symmetry, I don't know if you know about contrapuntal poetry, but this, reminded me a little of, bit of that. I don't know if this is, I, I'm such a weird reader of poetry. Like, I don't know if it's because I'm left-handed or what, but I'm always reading poetry <laughs> in weird ways. And I started reading this one as a contrapuntal poem, which is to say that it can be read down as well as across. So if you read it down, it becomes two, almost like two columns, right? I strung dazzling thrones on a spiraling thread, beating Dawn's blood to the golden duck. Like it actually makes sense Hmm. if you read it in two separate columns and then when you read... So there's actually it almost feels like there are multiple poems within this one poem and it's so densely written and so rich.
2: So I just wanted to to pipe in, Joanne, because that's such a wonderful observation and it's also the way, um, not always, but the way a lot of medieval alliterative verse works where you have the kind of action happening in the first half of the line and the second half will further describe or sort of repeat in different language. And so that you can sometimes for several verses, read down um, the first set of half lines and get complete thoughts and movement, and then read the, the second parts of the lines, the, the second halves, and get the, the kind of descriptive language that's giving extra detail. So that's that's just a really wonderful way of experimenting with the, with the poem that brings something important out.
0: Well, maybe we could just read that first sentence then, right? Um, Jessica, would you like to read the first sentence?
2: Sure. I strung dazzling thrones of thunder beings on a spiraling thread of spinning flight beating dawn's blood and blue of noon to the gold and dark of day's leaving, circling with sun the soaring heaven over turquoise eyes of earth below, her silver veins, her sable fur, heard human relatives hunting beneath, calling me down, crying their need that I bring them closer to Wakanda's ways, and I turned from heaven to help them then.
0: Wow. What a sentence. It is so, it's just so thick. The eagle is basically describing what his mere, just his mere movement does and looks like in the sky, right? How it connects so many elements in the environment. Beating dawn's blood and blue of noon to the gold and dark of days leaving. Wow. A lesser poet would have just said, Uh, it's sunset. The day's almost done. (laughs) Right? But, but this is where he doesn't do the easy thing. He's using that percussive force of those monosyllables to the gold and dark of days leaving. Oh, how is earth silver and sable? What does that mean?
1: So I get the sense of the eagle looking down and seeing rivers and forests, right? But but basically the earth itself then becomes another creature, another animal. The earth itself has eyes and veins and fur. Everything is related. They're all relatives. They're all animals. They're all wound together. All of it is, is crying need that brings them closer to Wakanda's ways. And, and Wakanda here, just so we're clear, is the great creator power of the Osage. And so that's, that's the force that is binding all of this together.
0: And I love that that's a central tension of the poem, right? That this is an animal that is so sensitive and so attuned to the needs of his human relatives, What a thing to to say, to describe us as the human relatives of the eagle. And as soon as he hears that call, he goes to help them then.
1: And I would just add that, again, thinking of the mirroring of first sentence and second sentence, when everything is bound together and related together in the second sentence, it's about... The creation of the fan itself except that the way that the fan is described is through all of these sacred beings these animals brought together and so what the fan is is the tail feather of the eagle which is then inserted into a wooden handle and strung with all of these beads and colors and so on. So all of these colors matter, and then they're matched in the second half of the poem by the colors and the weaving and the circling that goes into the making of the handle of the fan itself. So down below, you could see again, the blue and the red especially being repeated. Dawn's blood and blue of noon up above, become instead blue and red beads, the beaded harmonies of blue and red down below.
0: Okay, so with that in mind, can we read that second sentence aloud, though, just again to get that symmetry of what corresponds with what and the way that he really pulls on that tension?
1: Yeah, Jessica, would you read that for us? Sure. When the bullet
2: came, it caught my heart. The hunter's hands gave earth its blood Loosened light beings and let us float toward the sacred center of song and the drum. But fixed us first, firm in tree heart, that green knife dancers gave to men's knives. Ash heart in hiding where a deer's heart had beat. And a one-eyed serpent with silver straight head strung tiny rattles around white softness in beaded harmonies of blue and red. Now I move lightly in a man's left hand, above dancing feet, Follow the sun around old songs, soaring toward heaven on human breath,
0: and I help them rise. When the bullet came, what a way to start that second sentence. I'm interested in how it shifts from mostly a a singular first-person perspective, the I, to then an us. So, and let an us float toward the sacred center of song in the drum, what is he describing there? Are these the elements primarily of the fan? Yeah. That's I mean so the
2: light beings are are the feathers that are loosened from the body of the of the eagle. Yeah. Right? Which is lovely. I mean it's it's as though each each feather has its own
0: voice
1: and identity wow. and and spirit.
2: Yeah, that's beautiful.
1: And each feather carries in a certain sense the what the eagle was. The one eagle becomes many through each feather
0: oh that's nice yeah and then look look what he does with that temporal marker right now I move lightly
1: yeah and the the rest of the poem was in the past tense I strung when the bullet came yeah and suddenly at the very end of the poem we're brought into the dance itself now I move lightly the dance is happening at this very moment Rivard has so many beautiful things that he says about poetry itself and its purpose, and the kinds of community that it is meant to build. And we have talked many times in this podcast about poetry as not just a solitary act, but in fact, a communal act. Uh, You know, in part, you and I talk about it. Others listen to it, talk about it. It builds community. And that is, in a certain sense, what Carter Rivard believed about poetry, too. So I think it is worth thinking through just some of what he said about poetry in relation to this poem itself. And this is one, one of his quotes that I love. He says, For my part, I hope it is true that good language, in both talk and writing, builds a small community in which people can live a little more completely and joyously than solitude allows. Words are not poems until that happens.
0: Wow, that's amazing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) With that said, we thought we would end today by hearing Carter Rivard read this poem himself. The library at Washington University in St. Louis has an old recording of Carter Rivard reading this poem, and they've shared that with us. So here's Carter Rivard, what the Eagle Fan says.
3: I strung dazzling thrones of thunder beings on a spiraling thread of spinning flight. Beading dawn's blood and blue of noon To the gold and dark of day's leaving, Circling with sun the soaring heaven Over turquoise eyes of earth below, Her silver veins, her sable fur. Heard human relatives hunting beneath, Calling me down, crying their need That I bring them closer to Wakanda's ways. And I turned from heaven to help them, then. When the bullet came, it caught my heart, the hunter's hands gave earth its blood, loosened light beings, and let us float toward the sacred center of song in the drum, but fixed us first, firm in tree-heart, that green light-dancers gave to men's knives. Ash-heart in hiding where a deer's heart had beat, and a one-eyed serpent with silver straight head strung tiny rattles around white softness in beaded harmonies of blue and red. Now I move lightly in a man's left hand. Above dancing feet follow the sun around old songs. Soaring toward heaven on human breath, and I help them rise.
1: Hmm. Before we close, I just want to thank a few people who helped in the preparation of this one, uh, especially Angie Cacatera and Caroline Wigington, fellow early Americanists of mine and uh, great scholars of indigenous studies. So thank you to them and a shout out to them. And also thank you so much to our special guest, Jessica Rosenfeld, for being here today. Yeah, it was really fun. Thank you for having me.
0: Yes. And you are our first guest to share an old English poem recitation. So thank you I for that. I surely hope I will not be the last. <laughs>
1: <laughs> to learn more about Carter Rivard, please visit our website at poetryforall.fireside.fm.
0: And you can subscribe to Poetry for All wherever you get your podcasts, and please remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
1: Thank you for listening.